Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Outside the Box. And and this is going to be a really fun conversation for, for me, selfishly, but but hopefully for you guys as well. Uh, I'm with my good friend, Taylor Lindsay, who is in the health insurance world. And and, and as you guys know, we're, we're a cash-only practice at Performance Medicine, so we don't talk a, enough about health insurance, um, but we're, we're huge advocates for it. So uh, we're bringing Taylor on the show today uh, just to talk to us about kind of what he does and health insurance in general. Taylor, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself to, uh, to the audience here, who you are, what you do, where you're at, the, the, whole, the whole shebang. Sure, Ben, and I appreciate you having me on. Uh, so my name is Taylor Lindsay, and the firm that we work with is Employee Benefit Consultants, and I am the fourth generation to this consulting and advisory firm, which is a pretty interesting dynamic. Um, ben, I've been in this about 10 years, certainly grew up in it, but uh, professionally been in about 10 years, and a lot has certainly changed. A lot's changed in my 10 years and probably about the last five years has certainly compounded the industry. Um, I'd say there's been more change in the industry in the past five years compounded over the past 30 or 40. So it's been a fun ride. Uh, it's certainly been frustrating at times to have to fight against uh, what I think is probably a pretty age old and legacy industry. But uh, the exciting thing is, is we see that there's some hope for the patients. There's some hope for the individuals. Employers are just ever so frustrated, uh, feel like they're handcuffed and getting taken advantage of, and can't say that they're wrong. Um, our firm acts as, really as an advocate, right? We're advisors, we work directly for our clients, for the employers. Um, our mission is to make and help create smarter consumers of healthcare, and we work through the employer channels so we can access more lives, right? So we can have a more direct impact to hundreds, if not thousands of people at a time. And, you know, I think the big thing for me that's been refreshing is our intent to get really clear about who it is we work for. And that is the client, that is the employers themselves. You know, uh, insurance companies have a place in every bit of this, but um, the approach that we've taken is very much to go holistic approach to dive deep into an HR and benefits assessment, right? So how does communication impact the bottom line? How does, how does education um, impact an employee's ability to be empowered and make better healthcare decisions, all in all resulting in, in lower insurance premiums when we're smarter consumers? And it's, it's taken that approach. It's been willing to get our hands dirty, roll it. Um, you know, kind of roll up the sleeves with our clients and spend the time. You know, we're investing hundreds, if hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars into this line item. Most of us don't know where the money's going. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that's my passion. I'm looking for the money. We're trying to find the squatter dollars and help those employers reinvest back into their into their teams. There, there's so much there that that I'm I'm fascinated by. You know, one being a, a fourth generation uh, partner in this firm. What what is that like? You know, I, I know you're bringing a a totally um, new perspective, um, and I'm sure that you know there's conversations that you've had with 
you know, your, your, your parents, your grandparents, what, what's, what's that been like? Has it, have, have they been slow to kind of catch up or, uh, have they kind of just say, Hey, you know, Taylor knows what he's doing and let he, let him kind of run with it. What's that been like? <laughs> it's, I think every day is a little bit different, uh, for, well, I work directly with my father and he's, he's still involved in the business. Um, certainly trying to trying to enjoy retirement a little bit as well. But, you know, I think in the very beginning, as we saw the industry changing and kind of unfolding with the Affordable Care Act, uh, it was concerning. It was concerning for us as our overall business model. It's concerning for our clients. And so I dug deep into that when I was studying to be do financial advising. And I threw that out the window and went and studied the ACA instead. And um, at first, it was more about getting through that, right? What are the compliance requirements? How are plans going to be impacted and employers impacted? And once we got through that, my frustration grew uh, with the way the, the insurance model was working and kind of how hopeless people felt. So I started to approach my father about this. I said, listen, we got to do something different. Uh, this is frustrating. It's not that much fun when, when we're captive to, to somebody else. And so as we went through that, it was certainly slow to evolve, but started to build trust as some of the decisions that we were, you know, we were recommending started to come to fruition and, and have positive results for our clients and positive results for our organization. So, yeah, it's a different business. Uh, it's certainly a different business. But as we established between, you know, the, the different generations, um, you know, he's giving me full reins to, to have a very employee-centric uh, decision-making process and helping, I guess, buck the status quo is kind of a, a, a term that's used over and over again, but you know, really couldn't be more appropriate here. So we certainly had um, the ability to learn from what's happened over the past 75 years in our firm, and we've used those key pieces to make established decisions while also innovating, you know, we're a small firm, and so that gives us the ability to pivot and change quickly. And that's what's been, you know, a lot of fun, but also it's a lot of hard work. I, I, I want to talk about that pivot, but first, you know, coming into this when, you know, as the, you know, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act was coming into uh, existence and implement and being implemented, it seems to me that you know this we've we've made a movement where you know more more responsibility has been put on the employer and more responsibility has been put on the the patient slash employee is that accurate um or is that just because now you know uh with the affordable care act more people had access to health insurance which you know i believe in i think that's uh the way it should be um but it, but it puts a lot of pressure on employers, and it also, with the way the plans were, it feels like it puts a lot of the um, financial responsibility on the patient-slash-employee. So huge financial responsibility for the business owner as well as the employee. Is that accurate, or, or you know, correct me if, if I'm wrong in, in uh, that? Absolutely accurate. Um, and these aren't exact statistics, but they're, they're things that – stick in my head from my research it's like nearly 70 percent of americans don't have a thousand dollars in their bank account but our average deductibles that we're out here seeing are two three four five thousand mm. dollars 
So we wonder why the bankruptcy level is as high as it is. You know, it's just we're all functionally uninsured. And you're right. Um, as the ACA hit, you know, a few years following that, we were seeing 30, 40, 100 percent increases on health insurance premiums. And who does that fall to? You know, it was it started out as in the following the Great Depression, right, as a benefit because it was wage stagnation. And benefits are a great thing. They're a huge investment by employers. Obviously, they're a wonderful benefit for the individuals. People change jobs due to benefits um, solely at times. And so what we saw is the employers were put in a bind where they didn't know what to do. They were being financially pinched. And the way that the industry reacted was, you know, our industry uh, reacted was a lot of times just shifting plan design in which more was shifted to the individual. So you're right. It just had a very much of a trickle down approach. Uh, excuse me, not an approach, but a, a result. And that's played, um, I think, personally, I think it's played very negative to the overall health of the country, right? If you have a barrier to access care, you're likely not going to get it. And so the HSAs, you know, when those came along, sure, they're great for tax advantages and they're great for certain individuals. But, you know, when you get $4,000 before your benefits kick in and pay, most working Americans are not ever going to access the benefits. Yeah, it's, it's just it's really interesting because I think our mentality as a country is still, you know, this, you know, what we call a this health insurance mentality, like um, in the sense that health insurance is going to, you know, save us or whatever. And, you know, but that ignores the 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 fact that um like you said, like most people, it's not, it's, you're uninsured essentially, you know, if you have a, a deductible that high, you know, what really are you getting? And, and I think that's kind of, you know, where I want to go today with this conversation is like, you know, what, how can somebody understand the way their plan is designed? Cause I, I know you deal with plan design yeah. every single day. Um, not only from the employer standpoint, because, and I'm sure you work with employers every day and, and I know that it falls on them to explain a lot of the plan design to, you know, to the employee through HR and, you know, brokers and, and firms like yourself do a great job of educating the employers, but kind of, can you just talk to me a little bit about that? Uh, Cause it's, it's super fascinating to me just uh, again, around this high deductible plan world we live in where, in a way you kind of are insured, but you are, it's like a, it's a weird thing. Yeah. And I'm going to try to hit that from a couple of different points, Ben. I think, um, number one, health insurance does not equal health care. Mm. Uh, it's quite opposite. It's the only industry that has an inverse correlation where cost does not necessarily equal quality. Uh, in fact, we're seeing some of the highest quality docs, physicians, facilities be the cheapest. Uh, because of their operational efficiencies and, and the way that they, they, they function. Um, but insurance plans, as we, as we buy them in the marketplace, it's, to me, is as simple as access to two things. It's risk management. So when you buy a fully insured product, meaning you pay a premium and you don't have to think about anything else other than your um, deductibles and out-of-pockets, you're, you're buying protection, right? right? So risk protection and then the next piece is network. So access to pre-negotiated discounts to doctors and physicians. Um, 
all well and good at a surface level um, until we start to look at some misaligned incentives within within that, right? Publicly traded companies and things like that. It starts to shift the attention to shareholder value versus the patient. Um, so that's been you know kind of an ugly truth that nobody likes to talk about, um, but it's something that we do need to at least pay attention to. Insurance sure. is, is a wonderful tool. And, uh, but, you know, as, as we start to go through, like in my discovery process over the past 10 years, is, is insurance always the best deal? You know, think about your all's practice of performance medicine is certainly an interesting approach, and, and we really appreciate that and how you guys are, are approaching the patient first. But look, go to the, most of the hospitals around here. If you're a self-pay patient, you're paying pennies on the dollar compared to what an insurance company contracts are. Now, to, not saying that nobody didn't do a good job in negotiating the the agreements. Cash is king, right? Right. <laughs> and uh, there, there's a lot that has to go on behind the scenes that patients don't ever see. Um, and if they do, it's gotten to a really critical point that has to happen for a provider to actually get paid, right? So, the procedure so, codes, the billing, the collections, like everything that goes on makes healthcare more expensive. So, are are you saying that there are situations um, where someone who is uninsured could be getting as good of a deal or a better deal going to a traditional insurance uh, medical situation, going to a, a practice or a you know a hospital that obviously takes insurance, uh, that the cash price for them would be a better deal than than you know say if they were to run it through their insurance carrier. Absolutely. Not every situation. Okay. Um, but majority of the time, especially in, in our marketplace, you know, Southwest Virginia, Northeast Tennessee, uh, we see that a lot. Uh, and so what that tells me is that we should at least be paying attention to the shoppable services. And, you know, and, anything under a couple thousand dollars okay, is so typically shoppable, shoppable. Okay. Shoppable means, shoppable services means anything under a couple thousand dollars, my interpretation of that would be your visits with your primary care physician, um, uh, maybe certain, certain, maybe like uh, CT scans, MRIs. Yeah, and I shouldn't have defined that by a dollar amount because that's, that's not the best way to define it. Really what we're talking about is anything non-urgent or emergent. Okay, and got it. Elective surgeries, okay. right? So there's there's bundle arrangements. There's cash prices, uh, advanced imaging, primary care, urgent care. Most all of it has a cash pay price. Now we may not know it until we ask for it, and that's that's part of the issue. Is that the whole model has been designed to, behind this this cloak of non transparent non transparency, and that's been a big push, a big pass through with legislation. Actually, is the um, at the end of 2021, there's there's some transparency pushes, and there continues to be. Um, but healthcare is the only industry in the world that I can that I can come up with where we don't know the price going into it. And uh, what you, what price you do get is typically nowhere what you end up paying. Can, can you can you actually walk us through that a little bit? Because you know we have a we we talk a, about this quite a bit where you know, a bill could start out at, at 230,000 
and and then that bill for for, for a non-elective for an, an emergency emergency type uh, surgery, for example, sure. you know the bill starts at two thirty, and then you know over a period of like six months it gets whittled down to you know you owe you know twelve hundred dollars or something like that after you know insurance is, has done what it what it does. Can you walk us through like what's happening there? What's happening when you get this giant bill? originally that probably freaks you out and then what you end up paying is much less than that. Yeah. Um, ben, I appreciate you asking that question and I'm going to use the example of PPOs, preferred provider organizations. They started back, I think it was in like the late eighties as a really grand idea, right? We were going to go out, insurance companies were going out to negotiate contracts and rates with provider groups and in turn, you were in our network, which we promoted out to employers, to individuals. And so the promise was volume over a preferred price. Makes makes really good sense, right? So we're starting to focus in on who our providers are. We're going to focus on cost and quality. And um, what happened when we went to the market, not me individually, but uh, you know, when, when insurance companies or brokers went to the market, it's you go talk to HR, well, my doctor's not in here. This right. hospital's not in here. And so over time, now we got 99% of everybody in network. Well, what's the real value here? And um, that's where I was mentioning the network discounts, right? So it's pre-negotiated uh, discounts or agreements in place between an insurance company, which represents millions of lives and a provider group. And so that might be, I'll use an example, 50% off bill charges something along those lines. Well, over time, what's happened is there's kind of this artificial inflation and cost of healthcare does rise. So it's not entirely artificial, but uh, I think it's more inflated compared to the actual increase in the cost of care. Uh, insurance companies are selling a discount and access, so they need a deeper discount. But the hospitals don't want to give up, and not hospitals, but providers typically don't want to give up what their reimbursement rates or might want more. So, you know, following the example, you know, I've got a brand new truck out here, I'll sell you 99% off as long as I get to set the starting price. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of in this game, and nobody's at fault for it. It's just kind of the way, um, the way it's worked out. And it's, uh, I think we're on the brink of, you know, maybe a little bit past the brink of, of this uh, this point where we're starting to see a better uh, approach, more human-centric approach to health benefits. Does that help answer the question, Ben? It, it, it does, and, and it was fascinating what you said about the, you know, who 99% off, if, if, you know, if we get to uh, state what the starting price is, it, in, from your you know perspective with your experience in that world, who sets the starting price? Is it just made up? Uh, likely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's some formula to it, but you know if you go <clears throat> the best reference point we have is Medicare. There's a lot of studies based on the cost of care. Um, is it always accurate? No. And is it different for per provider group? Of course. Uh, but it's a, it's a decent reference to start from. And, and as you dig in, there could be some different um, references that a provider might have that the general public doesn't. But it's certainly um, 
what we find is what a, what an individual pays out is likely two and a half to five times uh, what Medicare usually reimburses, and Medicare is usually pretty close to the cost of care. Uh, and again, I give that a lot of variable because there's many instances where that's not entirely accurate, but it's a general understanding that I think you could you could use some beginning education. What kind of shifting gears to the the employee side, so the patient side, in in terms of like plan design, when an employee is looking at their plan options, what what are the key things they should be considering? What are the key questions they should be asking themselves and their HR director slash you know business owner employer? I think if you if you're thinking about it from from a family, right? Um, you need to consider what has my family historically done. Okay. What is my family about to do? You can only plan so far in advance, and accidents and injuries and emergencies certainly happen. So there's very little we can do about that. But hey, am I about to have a, a child? Am I about to? a large procedure uh, there's things like that that you can think about and obviously you've got to weigh your out-of-pocket risk versus your premiums but you know some pretty standard advice right measuring risk there within your own household but I think to dive deeper you got to start to think about does my provider or excuse me is my employer providing any sort of tools to figure out Hey, this provider's in network. Okay, got that box checked off. But are they any good? <laughs> and uh, quality, I think, is a, is a an arbitrary number. But some some information is better than no information at all. And uh, I think it's a good starting point if you can find some quality metrics to find out. You know, okay, historically, how have they practiced? Where are they referring their surgeries to? Um, you know, how are they prescribing a lot of? brand name medications versus generic medications. How much time do I get to spend with this physician? Um, you know, I think that comes down to really going back to that patient provider relationship. Um, and you may not have those resources at hand, which is you know, really part of the problem. Um, but we're seeing more employers looking for those solutions to really help support the healthcare journey for the, their individual employees and their, and their families. Um, but really, it comes down to comfort level too. Yeah. Um, you know, what are they? What kind of risk are they willing to take on? What can they financially afford? Um, you know, I think that there's some core health services that need to be extremely affordable, if not free, for individuals. Primary care, generic maintenance medications, uh, certain types of things that individuals need to to have access to to actually take care of themselves in a proactive model, versus you know sick care. Right, and that's kind of where we are as a country, probably due to the broken health insurance marketplace. We're reacting, and we're not doing anything about our health in advance. So, with that, because I mean, that really you know speaks into speaks into what performance medicine has been preaching you know for so long is that you know taking ownership of your of your own health. You know, no one is gonna you know even the best insurance panel in the country isn't gonna protect you necessarily. And, you know, in that, in that sort of world, where does, where does 
health insurance fit in? Like, where does it fit in in a good, you know, provider-patient relationship? You know, because I do feel like, like you said, it's kind of in the middle. It's kind of in between the two. And the provider is negotiating with the insurance company instead of the patient. And this patient is kind of this innocent bystander, you know, uh, to the left. What What's your thoughts on that? And, and where do you think health insurance is going to kind of go with that, with that sort of mentality? Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, this is where it gets fun, Ben. Um, <laughs> you know, historically – the way healthcare is consumed today is in a model what I'll call fee for service, right? Patient provider or provider facility gets paid when they treat. And when that's the game, they've got to have a really high volume, right? So the primary care could have three or 4,000 patients. Okay. You start to do that math and the national average is somewhere between like seven to 14 minutes. You get to spend with your PCP. Right is that really time to treat and identify the underlying issues? So it's put us in a, in a situation where it's, you know, there's more and more medications being prescribed. That's right. a whole different industry. And it's really about how many people can we see. It's, it's a volume game and providers are not at fault for this, right? It's just been the way the model has been built and, uh, I think that's why you're seeing a lot of physician burnout, nurse burnout. Like it's just come to a point where, you know, this game has kind of seen its end. I think, um, been a lot of big pushes for value-based care. I think that there's room for building health plans around, you know, a model like performance medicine or what some will call direct primary care, which is like a capitated scope of services for a monthly membership model. Really what we're, what you're looking to do there is to identify the core scope of healthcare, increase the patient and provider relationship so that they understand their patient as a whole and what's going on in the house. What's going on outside of the house? What does their work life look like? What is their stress levels? What does their diet look like? What are these other pieces? Can I slow down as a provider and actually take the time to understand this individual? And so when you do that, you, you know, inherently you could, treat medicine you could take care of somebody and do what you went to school to do as a provider um, and that's what they all intended to do it's just you know got caught up in this really tough game of fee-for-service healthcare. so uh, where it's going is it's kind of back to that that focus around the individual that that relationship between individual and providers and you know we're building health plans around those core services and uh, the provider becomes an advocate and a Sherpa to help them navigate their next steps when they exceed their capacity, right? So when there's an elective surgery, what, is, what can the provider do to help put them in the right next spot, the right specialist, right? You reduce a lot of the need for specialists when you take the, take the time to understand the underlying issues. Can you describe like some of those types of plans, like how are you guys designing that? Um, it seems to me like you're almost, you would almost have to form your own network around either around the, around a provider or around a patient. Um, can you describe what this, uh, where the, you know, the provider is actually the advocate and you, you avoid some of these, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of over testing, 
a lot of over over medicating, a lot of over prescribing. Um, and, you know, I think one of the over medication problems is, you know, patients are going to eight, 10 specialists being put on a different medication at each one. And only the patient knows that they're on 12 medications and, and they don't know for how long. So they're on those medications for a very long time and it ends up, you know, being detrimental to their overall health. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about what some of these, uh, new types of plans are because um, it does seem it seems idyllic and and awesome at the same time <laughs> yeah and, and I think um, if you want to start to think about building something that's going to make a meaningful impact everything starts at the primary care relationship okay yep that is the foundation and you know depending on the practice what services they have access to or what they can feel comfortable referring out to you've covered a large majority, probably three fourths of the volume that a patient needs. Um, it's the cheapest of healthcare. It's that top 25% echelon that costs the most, but um, it's really, it's not to that point you actually need insurance. Um, so when we're designing these plans, we obviously we build in some insurance protection and risk protection to, to protect the individual, uh, but certainly to protect the employers that are sponsoring these plans. And so that is there and they're well protected, uh, very much as if you're kind of recreating a fully insured health plan. Uh, so there is the risk protection, but you know, if you go back to the core, kind of inside out, start primary care, start with the right access points, incentivize through plan design. And then when we need to have these more acute, um, expensive procedures or, or testing, you know, the primary care starts to understand their health plan and they're, they're acting as, again, that, that mm. Sherpa care coordinator. They understand all the medications that are going on. Everything is fed back to that relationship to where they, again, they have a better understanding. So from the plan design, it's thinking about what are the smart choices that, a, that an individual can make, right? Advanced imaging is probably the most uh, known, right? CT scans or MRIs in hospital versus independent outpatient centers, certainly there's a huge delta there in cost, but they're the, typically the same scans, right? typically the same exact machines. And um, you know, if there's some coordination with those that are ordering it, it doesn't need to be your own physician. It doesn't need to be within their own practice necessarily. Um, there's certainly time and place where um, that is more important and necessary, but you know, really what it's about is figuring out where your dollars can be invested to get the best value and incentivizing patients or individuals and employees through plan design, making it cheaper, making it more accessible. What, what does that mean to, so, because well, when I think about incentivizing through a health plan, I'm thinking, you know, making it cheaper if they achieve certain, um, health, health markers, um, you know, uh, weight is an easy one. So, you know, if they lose a certain amount of weight, their, their premium goes down. Is that kind of what you're talking about when you talk about, you know, incentives within, within the plan um, and in ways to make these premiums cheaper? Um, no, you know, that, that wasn't particularly what I was addressing, more, more waiving deductibles and out-of-pockets when, when an image might be done in an independent imaging center versus in the hospital. 
is something along those lines where it's a financial savings to the individual. It starts to have better impact from a risk management perspective to the employer and their health plan. So obviously premiums are more uh, levelized or even start to go down when we're making better decisions. Right? It's waste, fraud, and abuse is like 30% of healthcare spend. So if we can help eliminate that, uh, that's a great place to start. Talk to me a little bit about that because I, 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 I'm, I had no idea that's what that meant. That's, so basically, that's just eliminating unnecessary testing and, uh, and procedures. Is that, is that yeah. unnecessary testing, procedures, misdiagnosis, wrong situs of care, things along those lines. And, and that's really what we want to focus on first, right? It's low hanging fruit. These, these, you know, health, healthcare plan designs that, um, that are, you know, benefiting the patient as well as, you know, all centered around the, the primary care physician, which is really interesting um, because, you know, one thing we've talked a lot about is just how the, the primary care is like the quarterback of, of the healthcare system to a degree, um, but they can often be overloaded. You know, like you said earlier, they're with patients, you know, seven to 13 minutes. Um, what, what's your, what's your thoughts around that? Just kind of riff with me on it. We'll, we'll get this thing fired back up. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, when we had an employer and I, and I call them courageous employers, right. And it's a good friend of mine. Um, Christy Gupton t- quoted that term, you know, it's, it's an employer that's willing to do something different. And many mm-hmm. times it's because they get to the point where they just, they can't, continue on the path that they've been doing. Um, some have more uh, of a larger philosophy. It's like, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to proactively manage this to get the best value for my, my employees. And that's what happens, right? So it all comes down to access to data, right? The transparency driven on these health plans. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And any data is better than no data at all. Because if you don't know where your money's going as a plan sponsor or as an employee, you don't know how to tweak your plan that's actually suited best for your population because employer A over here is not the same as employer B. Mm. You might have some of the same challenges, but you're not the same. And uh, insurance plans off the shelf, right or wrong. And so, again, back to that ownership piece, we're able to tweak and we're able to make adjustments and, and utilize resources that are available um, to really maximize that dollar, maximize that investment. And, and all that, you know, what we, what we set out to do is to find the squandered money. And these employers that we're working with are reinvesting those dollars back into the individuals, back into lower deductibles, back to offsetting premiums, back into a way where, okay, they've gone along in this journey with them to do something maybe a little bit different. Um, as we've, as the plans perform well, those dollars are reinvested. So the healthcare dividend is what we like to call it. Um, so yeah, I think at the end of the day, the big picture goal is to get it back to the people, make the benefits feel like a benefit again. Yeah. It's, it really, it feels like, um, something you have, but you don't know why you have it, um, in health insurance. Like a lot of people make their, um, career and job choices based on access to a health plan. 
um, without really knowing what that means, you know, without really knowing um, what that's actually doing for them, um, which is fascinating to me. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's that's kind of interesting where we are as a firm. Um, you know, we, we have been successful and, and have had a lot of um, passion for helping employers kind of build and design these custom benefit plans like we've been speaking about. But some employers aren't ready for that journey yet, and that's okay. You know, we, 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 we listen to them. We, we may have many employers that, you know, I never want to do anything any different, and that's just the way it is. But – you know, so we'll stick with fully insured plans and we'll, we'll keep on moving down that path. But the key piece is understanding the other components that we can help support an employer in an HR program, help educate their individuals, right? So helping them become empowered. It doesn't matter what health plan you have. Like we talked about before, you might have a $3,000 deductible and you know, 95, 90% of people never spend three to $5,000 in a year. So how can we help them become more empowered to make better decisions for those smaller underlying claims dollars um, and understand the resources that you know, some of these large carriers make available? They do a good job. Um, some people are ready to make that journey. They're ready to make change, and others aren't. And that's the key piece about advising is listening to your client, listen to the employer, um, and taking advantage of all the resources that are that are currently available. And if they don't have them, we'll find them. Um, but that's that's the key piece, right? There's just understanding what you got and using it to the best of your advantage. Yeah, and I and I think I, I'm I'm really glad you mentioned that because I, you know, one of our goals with this podcast is to is to empower you know patients not only you know with their own health but also with their health care in general and 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 like you said, so much of that is 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 understanding where your health health care dollars are going and where they can go you know, and you see it as an investment, not just, um, you know, what could feel like a money, money pit to so many people, including the employers, the, the employees, you know, it just feels like, well, what are we investing in? You know, like, what are we doing here? It's almost like, uh, social security. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I mean, and you really think back, um, our approach has tried to be around the, the whole person. And that's physical, mental, and financial well-being. You think about it. Stress comes from financial uncertainty. So you can't afford this. That's going to stress you out. And stress, as you well know, impacts your overall health. Yep. It just becomes this cycle that uh, can't seem to break out of. And so, you know, we, as we take multiple, uh, a multi-pronged approach, Right. We're trying to lower the employees out of pockets. We're trying to get them access to the page or to the providers that they need. Uh, we're trying to give them access to the resources they have from mental health. Obviously, certainly access points are huge there as well. So as we push all towards the individual, it starts to move in a better direction. And that's where we're seeing the results is you know, high deductibles increase the cost of health care. We're trying to get, eliminate deductibles and out of pockets. Explain that to me. That because that that's a very interesting statement. High deductibles increase the cost of healthcare. I totally agree with that. Um, and I and from a provider's from a practice's side, um, especially in the traditional setting, the reason I believe that to be true is that for people with high deductible health plans, they go into a traditional setting. The practice has to still cover the overhead that they have. Um, 
where, which is often paid for by, you know, um, through insurance claims, right? So like the cash price is oft, often inflated, um, which, you know, if you're high, on a high deductible health plan and you haven't reached your deductible, you're essentially paying a, a cash price that's tripled, essentially, triple what it needs to be. Is that, is that accurate or am I, or am I uh, a little off there? No, I, think, I mean, every practice is a little different, but I think that that's right, right? There's the administrative cost of healthcare through insurance. Mm. It wouldn't, it, you know, it makes sense in a traditional, in a, in a normal common sense approach setting to have a bilateral relationship between the patient and the provider. What if I paid a practice directly for their services <laughs> instead of having it going around the wheel and, you know, could be 20 to 40% more just from the administrative perspective. And your know, practices have to have people for billing and collections and insurance verification and all this. So um, I think you're going to see there's a potential for some practices like performance medicine to just say, you know what, it's taken me away from my patients. How much value is this actually bringing to me? Mm. What's interesting is like, you know, from, from a patient perspective, you know, what's, what, what's in the patient's best interest. And, and I, I often find myself going back to that. And, and I think it's, you know, a combination of all these things. Like I, I think, you know, there needs to be protection, you know, like you need to have some sort of, uh, ceiling. Um, you know, I, I think it, bankruptcy, I think healthcare bills is the number one cause of bankruptcy in the, in the country. Is that, is that probably yeah, close to true? And I think of, of of those that have healthcare related bankruptcies, it's like sixty or seventy percent of them had health insurance. <laughs> it's <laughs> so not... it's not something that any of us are really protected from. Right. But yes, I do wholeheartedly agree that there needs to be some level of risk sharing, insurance protection, catastrophic um plan design, whether that's an insurance plan um, or that's, you know, call sharing through, you know, ministry sharing. There's some that are non-denominational, but there's, there's a couple ways that you can access some of these, these plans and what we'll call them a, in a way to, to, to cap your financial risk. Yeah. Where, lastly, cause I, I want to be respectful of your time. Where do you see, where do you see, the role of health insurance going moving forward and these employer sponsored plans, um, what's, what's going to be their role in, in healthcare over the next 10 years or so? The insurance plans? Yeah. Or the employers? Uh, let's go insurance. Let's go insurance plans. Yeah. And I think insurance plans are, are in this beginning stages and, and some early adopter from an employers that are, have taken, taken these strides. But it's moving to a point where, you know, the writing's on the wall is it can't go on any longer. Um, and so the, the plans are, are making a turn to be more focused around the patients and the mm. individuals. I, I think that that's, you know, this is a really big statement, but I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, you know, benefits consulting or advising or building insurance plans can be one of the most important jobs in America, I thought. And he really paused for a second. Uh, it, it, it impacts financial and physical. 
And when an employer is willing to invest the time to look at where their money's going, that's where we're seeing the biggest results. It's been a very reactive process. 60 to 90 days out, we're going to go renew our plan. Yep. Here's 8, 10, 12, 15%. And it would just, we've, it's it become kind of uh, calloused to the process. <laughs> we just take it. Yep. And if we can't afford it, then it goes to the employees. So um, I think the, the health plans, you know, especially from the carrier perspective, uh, they're reacting to it. They're seeing it. Uh, but it's a grassroots movement right now. Employers have had enough they can't they can't afford to do it any longer and so as, as some of this market starts to shift i think um there will be some more um more focus around what the employer needs and not just shareholder and at least i'm hopeful for that I, I i think that's a that's a wonderful way to end this conversation because i it's it really does go back to you know it's all about the patient it's all about that individual we need to humanize healthcare again and, and what you guys are doing is certainly, you know, moving things in that direction. So Taylor, I appreciate you enlightening me on this, on this new world and, and kind of where we're heading with, with not only healthcare plans, but healthcare insurance as well. Uh, I certainly appreciate the time, man. Ben, enjoyed it. Really refreshing. Thanks a bunch. All right, Taylor, we're going to, we're going to end this recording. Uh, this has been outside the box with Ben. We appreciate you guys checking this out. Taylor, we appreciate you. Uh, and as always, we'll see you guys next time. Don't go away. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, we will see you guys next time.